you in. Hi, I'm Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company. He's Luke Morris and... Hey, I'm, I'm a bit shocked because I thought I was hosting, but keep going, Campbell. <laughs> and together, we are Luke's Talk Wine. We talk about all things wine and booze, sometimes popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. Hi, Campbell. Mate, welcome back. This week, have we got a week for you? Strap yourself in because uh, this podcast is coming to you live on the amazing day of the week that is (laughs) any day you're listening to it. But we are deep in the streets here of season three, episode seven. And we are ready to rock and roll. I'm fairly sure this is episode eight. Anyway. Episode eight. <laughs> <laughs> Episode eight, unbelievable. Um, I thought you told me earlier that I had to host because you were under the pump. So what's what's been happening? What's been happening in your well, wine world this week? I'm, I'm just curious <laughs> as to where we're going. Where are we headed? What's the topics? What's going on, Cam? We'll fill me in. Yeah, this week we have got a week. Just we've got a week. So this week we have got an amazing question, actually, and that is actually this is a great question and and an amazing theme for the week. Keep keep look it up, quick, quick, look it up. Why we use the email? Why we use wax? Should I remove the wax capsule? And what does a wax capsule do for my wine bottle? Um, So that is uh, the topic for this week, and we'll get into that shortly, Luke Morris. Uh, You probably know more about that than me. Uh, but and the other question we have a question of the week actually from Shieldsy, who asks uh, not exactly a random question but a very unique one in the fact that he talks about sparkling and he writes actually Luke Morris what does he write he writes my question is this is what he writes right he, he yeah. uses Shieldsy and he puts a Z in Shieldsy which. Mm. I don't know. That seems like American spelling to me, Shieldsy. Americans put Zs into all kinds of things. I don't know if you start using a Z in. It's your name, I guess. You do you. Okay, that's fair. Shieldsy can use a Z in his own name. Shieldsy with a Z writes. Yeah. Uh, My question (laughs) is that now spring has sprung, what sparkling wines slash styles other than champagne would you suggest and a few domestic and overseas producers you could recommend that might be overlooked by the general punter <gasps> that's all one sentence mm. yeah well from the grammatical grammatical king that is luke morris that is a problem if that's one sentence and it took it, i had i had to breathe yeah anyway <laughs> so i read that incorrectly you're supposed to be able to read a sentence without um, having to pause for breath so that's my fault. I'll um, I'll work on my diaphragm and uh, uh, ability to just read. <laughs> and, and maybe during, and maybe work on your diaphragm during this episode, because as Did always, you know we... that just historically, like yes. monks were really impressed. Like the most intelligent monks were the monks who could read without speaking aloud. Oh. That that was that was a sign of intelligence back in the day. Wow. Okay. Well, as always, with every episode here on Luke's Talk Wine, we ask the pressing question, and that is, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? I I hadn't planned anything for this question because what's been been happening in your wine world? Because you told me earlier today you were like, 
I don't know if we're going to can do it today. Maybe later in the week. What's what, what, what's been what's been flying around your coop? Well, it's funny, uh, flying being the operative word. I have just flown in from ye old Sin City, Sydney town. So oh, right. for those for those listeners uh, north of the border, we are based in Melbourne town. Uh, and our roaming reporter there, Luke Morris, is wherever you find him each week. He's out and about usually much more than me. I'll, I'll be in but Sydney I've just, I've, tomorrow. But what, what was happening in Sydney? Really? Oh, I was just up there just doing what we do in Sydney and just, you know me, Luke Morris, man of the people, just getting back to the people and just speaking to the constituents. <laughs> just just taking, what are you going for, Parliament? <laughs> taking the wine to the people, Luke Morris, is what okay. I was saying. Oh great! Yeah. Hmm. Was this part? Did you? Was this the sherry pl- thing that you were talking about last week? No, 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 not at all. No, we um we went up there. We did a a red wine dinner, a famous wine bar with a, a, a great producer, and then we did a, I did a wine tasting and education seminar at a wine bar, and no, we just just generally got, got busy with the wine world. That's great. Vinified <laughs> hmm. on the move. You, you it sounds like <laughs> you do this quite a bit. Vinified on tour. Well, prior to the big C word, we would have been in other territories and states fairly regularly. But mm-hmm. I haven't been doing a lot of travelling. I don't know about you. Well, you have. You've been roving oh. reporter between Adelaide and Bendigo and Melbourne. Yeah, most of that's in a car. It's just things you can you can reach on like tank and petrol. Mm-hmm. You know, have to actually fly in a in a vehicle that has a much bigger tank of petrol tomorrow. But that's cool. Yes. I'm good on you. So, and yeah. how 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 was it all received? Were the Sydney side as as welcoming of open arms as they are of all people as usual? You know, being yeah, they were being the friendly yes, was, type of people. Sydney siders are. It was great to be back in uh, Sin City, as it's colloquially known in our house. There was lots going on, and they were very welcoming, actually, and very interested in what we're tasting, what we're drinking. Very interesting in Luke's Thorpe wine and the hottest one hundred. Oh. oh yeah, uh, and how and how they can get involved and how they could. Vote? How can you vote in Luke's Talk Wine? Uh, it seems to be a trend of people just sending me an email at the <laughs> moment. Um, mm. I think that might be what's <laughs> holding us back on getting uh, um, many, many votes is that you have to like go on the Instagram account and, and click on the link tree and then click on the form that way. Um, we have got 20 votes in now, so we've hit your... Hey, we've reached, we've reached my target. You've hit your, your golden milestone <laughs> target. Yeah. Um, we're about 30 votes off where I want to get to because <laughs> I'm a bit worried that with 20 votes, the, like, the winner might be on two votes. I don't know how much crossover we're going to have with voting, but we'll find out in a, in a couple of weeks' time when we start um, telling them up and maybe see if we can get the, the winemaker or viticulturalist or marketing manager or just somebody who's drank the wine that wins the uh the vote somebody's possibly just passed it through their lips <laughs> yeah, yeah someone has sold it we'll, we'll, we'll get the rep in that'll be great uh gotta gotta love talking to reps i haven't seen paisley t-shirts for a while anyway um yeah no so we're on 20 there so, had, so, had, so were they getting involved in hottest 100 in terms of um uh did they ask you how to vote did they did they they were more inquisitive about you know we've been talking about it long long enough long enough they were more inquisitive about my vote and oh, I said well yeah. you know back in episode uh, three of this season three hold, I hold, gave hold. you my votes oh did you 
Okay, it don't, is. Don't, don't, don't tell them now because otherwise no. we can go back to listen to episode three or we can reveal it like in a, in a special <laughs> Hottest 100 episode. That's right. We can. Uh, so I implanted that. Um, the Gask. Was it the Gask? I'm the Gask was highly now. rated. Absolutely, yes. The Gask was highly rated. You, you flung about a few wines too, didn't you? I mentioned some, but I'm not going to vote just because of uh, I'll be doing all the tallying and stuff. Oh, of course, I just, I just don't want to. I don't know. I just don't want to um, be put in the position where it's like, why have you voted for that, Luke? Well, obviously, it's because I stumped some gra- grapes that year, and I just have an emotional attachment. And I think that's fine if you're a um, a punter, if you have an emotional attachment to the wine. I think that's the whole yeah. point of the hottest 100. What wine? What, what wine are you most emotionally attached to? Vote for that. Don't vote for what you think is, you know, in theory, the best wine on the planet. Vote for what you care about the most. Well, that's it. It's it's about caring rather than popularity, isn't it? It's like you might like really like the Dejo from Portugal, but yeah. you know, like if you care about it, get on board. Yeah, that's that's essentially what the hottest one hundred music on Triple J is. It's definitely not yeah. the 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 best song the best. written for the year. There we go. There's yeah, well, some old people talk, complaining about the, the current <laughs> Triple J Hottest 100 list. <laughs> Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au. L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A dot com dot A-U. Have a great day. Uh, well, but this week's question is a really interesting one, actually, and that is the question of wax capsules. Have you been confronted by a wax capsule or what do you do with a wax capsule? Do, do you know, so I put that in the chat because I thought I was hosting and I... I posed that question because I got asked that question at work and mm. I, got, I, I, wrote a, I wrote quite an essay, I guess, on the answer because the question that basically I got asked or I, mm. I re, reinterpreted a, a, a few back and forth conversations as does a racked cap help storage of wine? Now I can I can read you my thesis, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is about two hundred and fifty words. Or what do you think, Campbell? What do you think? Well, I, I love the history of a wax capsule because you, you know why the wax capsules are there, don't you? Ah, yes, I do. That's what I opened up my answer. <laughs> which a lot of people won't know. So the wax capsules, you do this because you've got your comedic mind on. I, Oh. I mean, it just it just freaks me out, really. But um... oh, it's about it's just about quality control. It's just about it's just about security. It was because so much wine was being um, uh, falsified that they'd they'd cork it and dip the cap in in wax and they'd stamp a um, a seal on it. And that stamp on top of the bottle is still existent today. When you look at the top of bottles, you can see a seal, a, a coat of arms sort of thing, on on the top. And that would just ensure that the product that has gotten to the consumer is the same one that left the winery. In theory, that was what it was. That's why Rax was there. 
And even earlier than that, the even, wax was actually there to prevent critters from actually getting to the cork. Ah. So when they were laying flat in the caves of Champagne or the caves of Bordeaux where they hadn't oh. actually been sealed or whatever, yeah. there was actually a problem with um, rodents, you know, rodents getting into the cork and scratching away. Oh, I haven't heard this story. You mean like, you, so you actually mean like little maces and... Uh, yeah, oh, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. The so, scratching away at cork, I suppose, eating it because it's... It, it feels good on the teeth, a little bit of chomp, 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 but then you get into yeah. the wine and you have a glug, glug, glug. Yes, but of, of corks, corks really are supposed to breed. So a couple of things happened there. They lifted those uh, racks, and even when you go to Champagne now, they're a little bit off the floor for a reason. They don't go all the way to the bottom of the floor. Ah. Uh, well, one one was the flooding, but two was the, the critters. And the other, like, really, as you've rightfully enunciated there, the the wax capture were then sealed with the print on them purely that was a was effectively so you knew what you were getting yeah. and it had this fancy handmade vibe to a bottle. But really it it has no bearing on whether the wine can breathe or not. The purpose of a capsule, uh, you know, is just basically whether it to be wax or anything else for that matter is to protect the cork from the little critters effectively but then they put it they started to put the wax on it the house of the pope were like the second or third people to do it back in the fifth and sixth century it shed enough to pat the crest went on the cork uh sorry the cork got filled in wax yeah. and the crest went on the, the bottle um and the small oxygen that does actually ingress out of the cork or whatever isn't hindered by the president of a wax the it's not wax i thought the no. wax the wax would prevent any kind of movement of oxygen it's, it's, or anything it's marginal, like it just, um, yeah, it's marginal and it just adds to this assurance of a wine's authenticity. Like well, see, I disagree. No, no, I'm not going to disagree, but I understand that uh, cellar masters remove capsules and would remove a wax cap to be able to see the cork these days, uh, potentially because there's, there's more mouse traps. In existence, and they can have a look and, and check to see if there's any uh, shifting of the cork in the bottle or, sh- or um, any seepage or leakage uh, of the wine. And so you, you, they're they're removing the wax. It's not it's not it being considered helped helpful. It's not considered. Are you, you going to tell me the people that Timo wine, Timo Mayer's winery in the Yarra Valley or John Francois Ravenau? in Chablis, are removing the capsule before they release to the public. That's bollocks. Not, not before they release to the public. No, it's just when they sell it themselves. Right. Mm, okay, well, eyebrow-raised, but... No, I've, so, well, I've seen... It, it, it's, it's a thing within port houses. Let's put it that way. I've seen okay. a lot of it in port houses because they want to be able to see the cork. That's why if you go to auction houses, sometimes you see old bottles with... Literally, people will take a knife and just uh, take the the top part of the capsule off so they can see the cork yeah. in, the, in the cellar, which I think looks weird and lots of people think devalues the wine, but the reason they do it is to be it's able to look see the cork. cork. Yeah. Well, there you go. Which I think just devalues, because the idea, effectively the question is all about you got to have Rax is a superior product and, you know, it's it's really good for selling and all this kind of stuff. But it's not really. 
it looks I, cool, but it's not really. No, just just that. It, I mean, I, I think there's that extra layer of authenticity, but really, you can just ignore the wax capsule and just plow right through it with your sharpest wine waiter's friend. Like it doesn't. You know, oh, the, the, you're opening a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, the, the ingress is the ingress, but for cellaring. Yeah, it's for not... cellaring, it's it's marginal with the cork with the cork or the wax capsule. It's very marginal. Yeah, well, I I still am on the side of uh, screw cap because I've done plenty of tastings. And not, have you been at the tastings? I've brought a couple of bottles uh, to lunch, same vintage. Same producer, same wine, just two completely different capsules used, one cork, one screw cap, and the screw cap wine on the two or three occasions, I think it's two times I've done it, uh, uh, for decade-old wines. The screw cap has always just looked a bit livelier and and has shown some age but not as much as the the cork, the cork always has a variation to it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've been at one of those. I, I did. A, I was very fortunate to do a, a public tasting with a very famous winemaker many years ago. Where we did two decades it? of cork v Stelvin. Uh, I, I was a very um, did you sign a non-disclosure agreement? Uh, uh, yeah, well, I, I may not, thinking of the circumstance, I may not say that it was, but put it this way, it was a very famous Australian Riesling producer and we looked at 20 years back-to-back of Cork versus Stelvin, but we were Was it the Polish the, Hill or the Watervale? <laughs> that, that shall remain nameless. But what we did do is we looked at um, 20 years. and we, we were invited yeah. there to do this tasting under the premise of a, just to do a tasting, but... We would taste, then teamed up in pairs and tasted these wines along the brackets and it became really evident that the, the wine at the front, which tasted all pretty much the same, was very different to the wine pair in its pair at the back the back line, which was very sporadic. Um, and I would argue, you know, there were a lot of a lot more wines in the back lineup that were, in the end, finished under cork that were way more sporadic. But some of those wines are also better than any of the wines in the front that will finish on the Stelvin. But well, that's it, yeah. This could be a wine that would, this could be a debate that would rage over many a podcast, let alone just our little old podcast with mum and Shields you listening. <laughs> Shields you for Zed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but look, drum Royal Griesling is terrific, no matter mm. whether or not it's under screw cap or uh, cork. But I have heard that. Yeah, so I wanted to ask. So you, when you say consistency for that front row, which was the wines under screw cap, mm. are you saying that each year looked pretty similar or that there was a, an age? There was a uh, – I don't want to use the word decline, but you could see the change or had it held extremely, like, very much from decade Yeah, one. no, they, it, the, the front row under Stelvin had were, were – all very, very similar. The wines at the back, which were sporadic, and I mean sporadic like 10 out of 10, you know, 5, 40, 16 out of 20. Like, you know, they were all over the shop. Yeah. But there were a lot more 10 out of 10 wines than what there were in the front bracket. 
But in, in saying that, there were way more wines that were faulty in the back bracket than there was in the front bracket. So it's whether you want that consistency and everything tasting the same year in, year out, which commercially a lot of producers do, or alternatively at the back you get this sporadic, but you get these, every now and then you get this next to godly-like glass yeah. that's just... Well, that's unwavering. I've had this conversation with Stephen and Prue Henschke. I've had this conversation with uh, Matt Forbes, Rod Kemp at Lakes Folly, a, a lot of great winemakers. And it, it's it's funny. I, I think the industry is coming back. It's gone full circle now. It's coming back to style enclosure. Um, you know, oh, the, did it go away? Well, I, I think so. Like, for instance, Rod Kemp has been a big one. He's been very big, proactive. He wants his wines to age under cork. But even he's producing Lakes Folly, even the Cabernet is under Stelvin at the minute. But he has been a staunch supporter of cork up until the last, you know, several years uh, when he's gone away after making Lakes Folly for 25, 28 years. He's gone away from that cork closure and to Stelvin. Matt Forbes went right through, you know, the plastic cork, the Ardea, the reconstituted cork, the DM glass stopper back to cork he did innumerable trials with it um, and he's gone back to natural cork um so i guess it's horses to courses is the problem the consistency of australia's cork supply yes that is a big problem because there's much argument that we get the rejects like yeah in in, in, in taking the, the 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 pork the cork producers preference Bordeaux, Burgundy, the, you know, their neighbouring, the, the Rioja, the neighbouring areas, their friends, and Australia gets this the scrappy at the end. Quality yeah, of cork. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't argue the for and against for that because I don't know enough cork producers. But I, I would suggest it makes sense that we get the offcuts. Mm. Well, how long does it take for a cork tree to... Start bearing cork? Is it a decade or something like that? Oh, and listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it takes 100 years for a cork tree to to reach maturity, but you can start harvesting it from about 55 years, I think, Murray. Do you know what? What flashed into my head was 50, and I thought, nah, that's got to be stupid. I'll say 10. Mm. But, yeah, maybe it is 50 years. So... If, it's if quite we, a long time. If we, if you're if you're out there looking for a business venture, uh, Australian <laughs> producers would love some good cork. So uh, plant a tree, and in fifty odd years, harvest it. <laughs> yeah, nearly as long as Pinot Noir. Hmm. Actually, Pinot 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 be cheaper and easier, I guess, with that respect. Not making Pinot. Well, yeah, you're going to bear fruit, you know. Seven to ten years, rather than fifty. <laughs> yeah, you'd you'd have a a few decades of disappointment. And that'd yes. be good. Learning learning the craft. Yeah. <laughs> Patience is a virtue. Oh, mate the uh, the ox is slow, but the earth is patient. The next question is an amazing question, actually, from Shieldy with a Z. <laughs> it is, in fact. The great sparklings of the world, what are the ones that we look over and what are the styles, either new world or old world, that you enjoy? Luke Morris, over to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what kind of thing are we looking for? So 
well, let's go through a few of the lists. You've got Carver, you've got uh, Prosecco, Moscato, Australian Sparkling for all of its worth, American Champagne because they don't agree. Is, is it still that they don't agree with the ruling and they still label their production as champagne? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I don't have a lot to do with the American Sparkling market, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, do you know, they are... Uh, Cremont de Bourgogne? Cremont de Bourgogne is a great suggestion, yes. Yeah. There's the some other, good the stuff one, out there. You, you, you mentioned Carver, and Carver's just not one region. You know, it's like a, a lot of... Ah, uh, there, the there is there a region. There is a region called Carver, but in fact there's about... It's 140 or 150 townships that legally can produce Carver. In Spain, not a lot of people realise that. Obviously, the most famous region is Penedev in the northwest of Spain, which has got the largest denomination, the largest DO for carver production. But in fact, yeah, there's 150 odd um, uh, like towns that can legally produce carver, yep. which not a, not a lot of people know. But carver is a great example. You mentioned uh, prosecco. I think prosecco has been done to death in this country. Uh, but Carver, going back to go forward, you know, you've got um, uh, Reventos is available here in Australia. Uh, who, who else? Mascundi, M-A-S-C-A-N-D-I is available here. Freysenay is the big one. What is um, – I, I always like that Reventos blanc. You know, it's fantastic value. It's just sub-40. But here domestically, what you know, the Adelaide Hills is – Tassie's the obvious choice, obviously, but ta- the Adelaide Hills is producing some amazing sparkling. The lovely uh, lady, I can't remember her name, she's a famous Australian wife, a maker who makes Deviation Road down there. That's awesome. You've, you've mentioned Deviation Road to me a couple of times. None of you yes, have, you've I, listened I love... to on the podcast, but you do, you, you, you're, you're true and honest with your uh, appeal of that wine. You, you, yes. I, I do love it. Um, Bird in Hand out of the Adelaide Hills, they make some good stuff as well, sparkling-wise. They make a, a, a rosé as well as a, uh, um, you know, just a, a straight blanc de blanc type stuff. Do you, do, the one that gets dismissed a bit that I actually, if you're talking about really light, this is summery drink, mm-hmm. the Moscatos. I mean, obviously you don't want it too sweet and syrupy. And that's the that's the slander it can get, but yes. a nice soft Moscato. I keep remembering um, Two Hands released a, a, a bit of oh, Moscato. Yes. I can't. I don't know if they still do, but that that was fun. That was a nice drink. We, 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 I used to get called, mocked for drinking that a decade or so ago. It was called Brilliant Disguise. That's it. Yes, they still make it. Came it. in a five hundred mil bottle from memory. Ah. Oh. Yes, now you're talking the language. The drink to have when not having a drink. Yeah, and it's only like ten percent or something like that. Yeah. So you know, it's a it's a bit more than a stubby, but it's it's fine. That's an that's, yes. a, that's an engaging summertime, enjoying life kind of drink. Yes. Yeah. What other brands have we overlooked for domestic sparkling that people forget about? Birmingham, oh. Deviation Road, any, any Victorian spring to mind? What? Um... Who makes? Oh, this. Do you know? I was doing a little bit of research on um, Victorian Chardonnay today, which is a, yeah. a topic for another day. Yes. But as I was going through 
producers in the Goulburn Valley and Strathbogie Ranges and Ballarat and here, here, there and everywhere. There's there's plenty of people who have got bottles of sparkling floating around. Mm. I, I haven't tasted that many of them, but I'm, I'm surprised by the number that turn up on the list. Yes. Yeah, well, you would be, I guess, but it is costly to, to make sparkling wine, but I think I think there's a, there's a few. Most people send off the the base stock off to a, a dedicated producer, don't they? They do, yeah. A, a dedicated bottler. Yeah. Mm. So a peek behind the curtain of how a lot of sparkling gets made is that you you have the base stock, and that's the um. I'm going to think of, okay, I'm looking at a beanie. So let me just say beanie estate will make their base stock of uh, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir blend for their sparkling. And then they'll, they'll send that off to someone who has the skills to, oh, I wasn't going to say, gosh, there's different ways you can actually make the sparkling, isn't there? Method Champenoise. And what do they call it when they don't Char- use Charmat, the tank method? What's that? The Charmat method. Are you going to ask about that? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Where they just get some fizz and they put it in there. So they add the sugar to the yeah. to the must effectively, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I can't think of too many ones that I would highly recommend off the top of my head. But that's just because I've only just discovered that there's a hell of a lot more than. I've actually tasted. I can only think of of Adelaide Hills producers and Tasmanian producers, Stonia and Kreglinger and well, Stonia is from uh, Mornington. Mornington, yeah. Kreglinger, Aris. Uh, yeah, well, I think they're probably the, the the common ones. Shields here is mentioning the stuff that we don't see a lot of in the regions that don't get heralded. Presumably, like Tassie or whatever, or the Yarra. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we've probably nutted out a few there. Carver's definitely, you know, I think Carver's incredibly undervalued, and there's plenty, plenty of variety there. Yep. I also think, you know, you, 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 at the right top of the program there, you mentioned Cremont Begonia. It doesn't even have to be Cremont Begonia. It can be Cremont Loire. It can be Cremont from anywhere. Basically, it's basically sparkling wine made in France outside of Champagne, and there's some great value to be had there. Particularly, you know, like if you look in the regions close uh, in and around Champagne, you'll get some good value, some good value drinking sparkling wines there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's that's a little tip if, you, if you're interested. the uh, I was looking at Chardonnay producers today, as I was saying, and I know Beechworth is a really good Chardonnay region, but I couldn't... Um, Beechworth money for Chardonnay is about five to ten dollars a bottle more than I could I could work with. So I looked at regions adjacent to Beechworth because mm. there's still good wine making knowledge in the community, and the the region. I know the Tawar is not exactly the same, but there's there's some similarities. So something like Cremont de Bourgogne and, and those things that are just adjacent. Still, really good knowledge and, and wine making skills involved. So, check them out. Hmm. And on that, speaking of checking them out, Luke Morris, what have you been drinking this week? Um, I, I actually had 
on Saturday night, uh, I, I, I slow cooked some lamb necks in a stew, and that was fantastic. Those unknown cuts of meat that people tend to avoid because they don't want to eat a neck. Gosh, it was really, really good. But I had that just because I had it on hand, a Oak Ridge Pinot, and I think it was, I want to say Willow Lake. Oh, yes. That's the one they won the award with, I think. Or was that the Chardonnay, Willow Lake Chardonnay they won the award with? But anyway, I digress. Yummy. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Meh. I don't yeah. know. You might have needed something a little heavier for the lamb neck, maybe? Probably. Maybe that's what I needed. I had had two pints of, well, two schooners of beer beforehand and then ridden my bike home and put on all the the bells and whistles for dinner and cracked and put the pinot in the canter and I just sort of was like, no, it's fine to drink. I just couldn't, yeah, couldn't get as worked up about it as all the hype. But that's fine. How about you? What have you what have you been uh, oh, secretly actually, toting up in New South Wales? No, well, it's funny. Um, it's funny. It's funny. Say that I, I didn't drink one New South Wales wine whilst I was up there, actually. Um, but what I was drinking actually is a, a wine I love a lot. Actually, is uh, Valpolicella Valpolicella Superior. Oh, right? oh, okay. Um, yeah, so a red blend, you know, it's still that red blend, red red weather here, you know, this is a blend of Corvina, Rondinella, Molnara, um, yeah, the, the Zyme, which is basically Zyme is like um, yeast or ferment. I, can't, I don't know the literal translation of it in Italian, but it's a wonderful blend, actually, Amarone, Delaval, Policella, DSCG. It's a great wine from uh, Zyme, which is, which is the children of Quintarelli. So if you've ever had a Quintarelli wine, uh, Giuseppe Quintarelli passed away uh, about seven or eight years ago now, and he left his winery. Uh, he he made, left his winery basically to the town, the, the village, so it became a cooperative. And his two children, one of which was married, left and started their own winery using some of the vineyards they had access that their father had access to, called Zymi. But they made this Valpolicella. We've got it on our site. Um, it's a divine wine. It's it's about forty odd bucks a bottle, but it's delicious. It's got a little bit of age on it, but it's all that kind of plum and you know undergrowth and earthenware kind of notes. But not too heavy, not too light. Just just right. Good. It was delicious. Little, little sidetrack. Oh, that, that, mm-hmm. That's interesting. But uh, since I'm going up to the Sydney area for the first time, I can remember within the last decade or more. Um, I'll be around Redfern area, I think. Newtown, I think, is where I'm actually yes. am. Uh, is there anywhere around there you recommend a a young gentleman to have a, a bite to eat and a, a, a glass to snifter? Uh, well, I do love um, the Arcadia. Is, is, that, is that Redfern or...? that Redfern on Newtown? Yeah, well, the, the Arcadia is good, like, casual kind of pub fare. Oh, yeah. Which is good. Um, it's kind of, it's almost Redfern, um, just off Abercrombie Street. What else is good? 
the Everly Hotel is always great for schooners and bites. Oh, yeah, that's uh, the thing. Let me. So what am I supposed to say when I order a beer? Schooner. How big is yeah, a schooner? Uh, smaller than a pot. Uh, bigger than a pot and smaller than a pint. Oh, so it's the same as what we call them in, a, in Victoria. Yeah, they're the right size, though. They're the real size beer. Like, they don't get too hot or too cold. They're just a schooner. Yeah. It's named after the English boats, basically. Yep. Um, yeah, the Arcadia. I like the Arcadia and, yeah, I mean, Newtown's full of great wine bars. Is it? Basically. Yes, it is, actually, yes. Oh. Um, do you like Thai food? Um, not really. I don't. I don't, I don't get oh. into spicy food that much. But oh, a, a friends might. What do you? What do you? What do you uh, no, well, the the, the no, there's, there's heaps of stuff there. No, I won't recommend it if you're not into it. That's good. No. The other one bar. The, the other one. I'm going to take like, a bottle of uh, Albuino with me, so that might go with Thai food. <laughs> Absolutely. The other bar, the other place that is really good uh, that's on King Street is a wine bar called She Loves You. It's at the city end of King Street. Um, I don't know if they do food, but they do great little wines. Absolutely. All right. I want to hear the Thai food place. What's the Thai food place? Uh, the Thai food place is in the Bank Hotel, and you go through the bank and downstairs. It's in a pub called the Bank, and they have this un- uh, beer garden out the back. But it is um, particularly spicy. It's in a beer garden. Um, oh. It's done up like Thailand. It's actually quite cool. Um, I haven't been there for a few years, but uh, no one's been anywhere for two. So, uh, but yeah, the Bank Hotel. It's at the uh, away from the city camper down end almost, but it's great. Uh, hmm. No, that's good to know. Anyway, uh, that has been a great week here on Luke's Talk Wine, and in the words of Tony Barber. Keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine seller's specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, We can host your dinner parties or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au